Since forming in 2001, Senses Fail from Ridgewood, New Jersey have released seven albums and two extended plays. Their debut EP, From the Depths of Dreams, gained the band popularity and the attention of record labels and angsty teens alike. Their first full-length, Let It Enfold You, released in 2004, launched them into the mainstream with big-budget music videos, magazine covers and main stages at festivals. Despite many years of success, the only remaining original member is frontman James Buddy Nielsen, a darling of the 2000s emo scene who has continued to assemble different lineups who play old classics and write and release new music. While Senses Fail have been a band who has evolved during their 20 years of existence, the early releases typify the sound of a very particular era of punk or screamo music that early fans of the band could now either look back on with fondness or cow with embarrassment about. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick, and this is Violence and Sunshine. Today, we will be exploring Senses Fail. So for the purposes of this discussion, we'll predominantly be talking about the first two records from Senses Fail, the EP From the Depths of Dreams, and their debut full-length Let It Enfold You. So these songs give me such extreme deja vu of 2004, man. I'm thinking year 10, cask wine, (laughs) weird house parties where, where you're not sure if you're going to get in a fight or not, um, like trying to pretend that we're into smoking ciggies, bad hair, no game with <laughs> girls, and even worse style than what we, you know, we spoke about in the Boys Night Out episode, what we kind of looked like in 2005. Man, I looked terrible in 2004. Oh, dude, two, 2004 was a, was a struggle. You know, that that for us is is first year of, you know, I guess what, what we would class as senior high, you know, the, we, we had two campuses at our at our high school, so year seven to nine, and then 2004, we, we were then the babies again, um, year 10 through to 12. And it was a, a very interesting time for our style, our confidence, um, you know, going to a, another transition period. So, you know, I, re, I remember speaking about <laughs> cask wine, you know, I don't know why. You know, we're now at the age where we're probably trying alcohol for the first time, really, uh, on a on a bigger scale, like at a party. And you know, we're not really drinking much uh, cruises or, or four forty woodies, <laughs> drinking four four liter cask of wine with uh, straight straight too, just like some fruity Lexia. Get it up. Here. It was twelve dollars and sometimes nine for a four liter cask of fruity Lexia white wine. And I don't even mm. like white wine now. So like, I, oh, I, I like red wine, but uh, what were we doing? I, I think you've nailed it. It's, it's got to have been the price, you know, the amount of alcohol you could get for $10, you know, that's, that's huge. You know, that's, we're not all, we're not all going to attempt your <laughs> go-to move, which was to drink it all in one <laughs> night <laughs> and then, and then use, and then use the leftover goon bag of the pillow to sleep off your uh yeah yeah your drunken drunkenness but uh, the height of my drinking career was that age man i can't i can't stand more than two or three drinks these days and i get sleepy and i get tired and i can't sleep properly but yeah back then man it was it was a huge strength of mine it was yeah your ability to consume large amounts of awful white wine well and you you were you were a little bit younger then too so you know for for you you were like I don't, I can't quite do the math. Not 14, I'm thinking. So, yeah, I guess I would have been 14 turning 15. And I, and it's funny to think about if, if I knew a 14 year old or 15 year old was doing that now, I'd be so, so disgusted and be trying to get them help. 
yeah. Although 14 and 15 year olds these days are, are moved on to much harder shit than um, crappy white wine. So, yeah, uh, and they're probably actually heaps more think, informed than us. So they're probably making better decisions. You would you would hope so. You would hope so. But yeah, it, it was an interesting period. Obviously, you know, personally took a lot of style influences from, you know, the older kids at our school. You know, there were a couple of um, yeah, bands in that emo, screamo realm who were a year or two above us. Um, so look, look to them for their, their hairstyle, their, you know, what they wore, what they were listening to. And, and census fail definitely was one of those early, uh, early bands for us. I think, you know, that we were first tapping into that scene, probably more moving out of a, a new metal scene that we we'd followed for, for a while before that, um, you know, corn, Limp Biscuit. Um, you know, that sort of stuff. Getting out of the quick silver clothes, the baggy jeans, <laughs> the oversized skate shoes and, and wearing kind of, yeah, more going for like the black studded things and the tighter jeans and the tight little band t-shirts and the terrible hair. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and Census Fail were kind of the the band that helped, I guess, put a bit of an anthem to that to those years. So yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of deja vu, a lot of nostalgia there. Well, it's um, the sound of the scene, isn't it? Like you know, quote unquote, the scene. Like this, these records. Just when I have listened back to it this week, and I, and I didn't really enjoy it. I've got to be honest. Like it wasn't a delightful nostalgia trip. It was a little cringeworthy. Um, and we'll go into de- into more detail about that. But I. Oh God, I just, I'm, I've upset myself just thinking about how much I didn't enjoy this. But as I was listening to those <laughs> riffs, man, it just, it transported me back to like being at weird gigs where there's, you know, a weird array of people wearing, you know, clothes that no one else in town is wearing and just like the production elements, the, the riffage, the guitar work, the screaming, every band was trying to do that in 2004 or five and census fail, like really sum up that sound of that year. Oh yeah, that. That's it. I, I don't think, uh, you know, I'm, I was the same as you. Listening back over the last couple of weeks has, has been has been a struggle to put it lightly. Um, but in saying that, there was still there were still moments where you know a certain song would kick in or a certain riff would kick in, and it brought me right back to those days. And and that had good memories. You know, those years for us going to our first um, gigs. You know, uh, you know this big mismatch of kids from all over the town we lived in, you know, it didn't matter which school you went to. It didn't matter if you were, you know, like us, you know, 14, 15, just kind of getting into it or the, or the older kids in their twenties who had been, you know, rocking that style and, and that music for a long time. It all kind of brought us together to watch a couple of crappy local bands over the weekend. Um, so, so the, the good, good memories from the era, but the actual music of senses fail, for me and and for you, I don't think has held up overly well. There's definitely definitely a cringe element there, and not a band that I would feel uh, proudly, I guess, to um you know tell people now that I, I used to be quite into, even though it was only short lived. <laughs> and it's so funny because I think a lot of people reflect back on their teen years and the way they looked or what they listened to, and they do kind of shudder with embarrassment. And so far, the couple of records we did before this, I didn't feel that way. And there's going to be so many where we don't. But this really did kind of catch me off guard, where I was just like, oh wow, like you know, what was my, what did my mum think when I was listening to this? So like what kind of, this is, these are the bands that I think um, if a parent listens to or they read the lyrics, they'd think that we were really struggling in life. So yeah, it was just, it's a really strange feeling for me, but I'm glad you mentioned kind of the positive memories of those shows we went to, the kind of people we met, we met. 
we made some great friendships. You know, we solidified our friendship. I think this that was the year we became friends. Um, so I guess great yeah, great it. memories, yeah. even if it is a little little whack to listen back to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the the scene and and that band. I think you know we've got to still give them got to still give them credit. You know, I I don't think um, at the time you know we we were also fourteen fifteen. I think the band at the time were a little bit older. Census Fail members were were more in that eighteen to twenty age age group when they released these these first couple of recordings. Um, but still, you know, quite young, but still, um, you know, they do deserve a lot of credit for, you know, how, how much they pushed themselves out into the scene. You know, as you said, you know, film clips, they toured, you know, they played live on, you know, like Conan O'Brien show, you know, they were, they were doing what they could to get their music out there and that sound out there. And, you know, when you think of the, a lot of bands that came after them, you know, like Hawthorne Heights, Funeral for a Friend, you know, there's a lot of bands, I don't know exactly the timeline on whether they definitely came before or after, but, but Census Fail definitely a huge part in that early emo scene. And it was quite interesting, as you, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, seven albums odd have continued to release over a, sort of a 15, 20-year period. Um, definitely not a band that I, I stuck with and continued with, but, but that's pretty impressive to to continue a career for that long with quite a unique style. And they have certainly evolved over the years. And, and though we kind of focused on um, the, the newer, oh, sorry, the older stuff and those first records we listened to, I know that even you went down a little bit of the rabbit hole of the later stuff. And I guess we'll talk about that a bit later, but I had a lot of thoughts and feelings as I listened to this. And I don't think so far, you know, these early days of this podcast, have we sent so many messages back and forth during the week? You know, we do our planning, we talk about it, we get prepared, but this was like every day I'm like, and what about this? And what about this? And then you had a thought and, <laughs> and there's so much. Like one of the things I noticed as I was listening to it is this was the day where everyone thought they could scream. Everyone thought that oh, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I can do this and they'd record it. And it's like, oh, well, shit, that's layered with other vocals. I can't do that live. All right, let's get the bass player to do it. Or let's get some random guy. And it was just awful. Like you watch YouTube clips, even just listening to the recordings themselves. And yeah, screaming has come a long way in the last kind of 15 years since. And, you know, there's real experts and pros. And these were the early days, so I can't be too critical. But man, like watch the live clips and just be like, how did any of us think this was good? Oh, man, I, I don't think we necessarily thought it was good I think we were just happy that it was different and it was edgy and it was like dark you know all the all the things we wanted uh it it, it, it was DIY it didn't have to necessarily be a super polished um you know band that could could scream really well and 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 the influence then from you know quite popular and, and big bands like this across the scene you know we we, we grew up in a, in a relatively small town and I would say every band in that scene at a point um, tried screaming. And as you said, if it wasn't the singer that could do it or the lead vocalist that could do it, you know, get the bass player to have a crack, get the guitarist to have a crack, you know, anyone <laughs> that wants to, uh, you know, strain their voice. Yeah. I'm not sure if he was ever on the um, the recorded versions, but Mike Glitter, the bass player, whose bass is bigger than he is, um, he he <laughs> was like the uh, kind of primary backing vocalist for Sense of Fail, certainly initially. And there's clips you watch where the other guitarist, Garrett Zablocki, 
he does singing and he's way better. And it's really interesting how much they use their bass player mic to do the BVs. You know, maybe it's a proficiency thing. Maybe it's a technicality thing. It's easier for the bass player to sing. Like I used to be a bass player vocalist in our band and it was much easier than being a guitarist vocalist. But I just found it strange. Like he didn't really have the chops, but did about like 20% of the the singing. Meanwhile, they had Garrett who, and I'm going to coin a phrase for our podcast, was the Nash of that band. Now, our good friend <laughs> Nash, and, and I'll, I'll make the connection here. Garrett Zablocki was the secret weapon of Senses Fail. Amazing talent, great guitarist, could sing a bit, completely underrated. So we've got a good friend Nash, who I think is the same the same as that. Amazing guitarist, I, I can sing a bit. Absolute secret weapon. So that's going to be a phrase I use more often, the Nash of the band, and that's our underrated <laughs> secret weapon. And I just wish they had used him more. Yeah, and I wonder if you know it, it's potentially just a confidence thing or or a or a band call. You know, if I, I don't know these guys that well, I haven't watched many interviews from them or what their personalities are like. But you know, the bass player might have just been the guy that had a bit more confidence, a bit more maybe say in the writing. Um, you know, maybe he was was in close and tight with Buddy, the lead vocalist at the time, and was was like, you know, I I want to you know push my myself a bit more I want to take on BVs I think I can do it and you know the Nash of the band was like oh yeah okay guys that's whatever I think I could do it way better but that's, that's cool. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> keep know, being uh, awesome at guitar yeah yeah I'll just, I'll just slay it slay it over here in the corner and if you need me I'm ready to go but yeah it, it, it could, we, you know we saw a lot of bands over the years and we even experienced in in you know bands we were in at times where not necessarily um the most talented person in the band was um, being uh, being able to shine as, as brightly as they as they could or, or should um, due to other reasons, you know, and a big part of it was um, confidence and ego. You know, those people that wanted to put themselves up up the front and and really own the stage and whatever. And and at, at times, sometimes that it, it's a it's a tricky one where you're weighing up, you know, talent versus stage presence. And and there's you know even you know we can throw back to, to my, my, my brother's band of the era, you know, a front man who probably by his own admission, not a great vocalist, but uh, as for stage presence and to draw a crowd in was an amazing front man. And I can't think of anyone else in that band that I would have preferred to be the front man. They were all awkward as hell. Well, that's pretty, I mean, we spoke about this sound being typical of the scene. And I think that was too, I think that's a lot of front men um, or front people it's a, it's a confidence thing. Like Jeff Rickley from Thursday is not a good singer, but as if you'd want anyone else singing in that band. Oh, that's it. Yeah, he, he just owns the stage completely. And even though he, he's, his vocals are, are wobbly at times and, and break and, and have, you know, very vulnerable, uh, it just added to, to the style of that band more. And, and I don't know if that kind of, you know, because they're even earlier, we're, we're Thursday even earlier than Census Fail, we're, we're talking. Um, so... You know, to have that vocalist who had that much stage presence in a in a band that was still kind of finding its way. Uh, I'm the same. I wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted Thursday any other way. Senses fail upgraded for a few years. They added um, Heath Saracino, and I'm sorry if I'm getting that name wrong. I looked up so many interviews to try and get hear his last <laughs> name, um, but I thought it was Saccarino for about 15 years. So I'm I'm doing better than that. But uh, he Heath was from Midtown, um, another kind of band in the scene, and he joined the band as guitarist, backing vocalist. And that era of the band, he really brought a lot in terms of songwriting, but also singing. You know, there's you watch live clips of um, Rum is for drinking not for burning on 
when he was in the band and he would sing the entire chorus and things like that. Like he, he brought a a level of talent to the band that I thought was necessary and essential. And that was the period of the band I most enjoyed when there was a strong backing vocalist behind Buddy because Buddy's a great visual front person and lots of people do really like his voice. But when you've got that kind of person who could be a front person being your secondary uh, you back up that just lifts your band so much but mentioning rum is for drinking not for burning that's an excellent song i know you love that one too oh yeah man i i actually owned um you know let it enfold you i i bought that cd um uh i remember and i think on the flip it's weird because i as this week you know went on i was looking up and i looked up the album cover i don't have the cd anymore and it didn't trigger that many memories for it. I remember there being this like guy in a space suit, like a like an astronaut, and he's kind of floating in air. And I thought, I thought that was the cover of this album, but I might be I might be mixing up these bands. It's a long time ago. Yeah, since the Let It Enfold You covers like a guy looking in the mirror and in the like just a regular guy in a suit and in the mirror is yeah. him like screaming with fire behind him. Yeah, he's in like hell in like the depths of hell or something. So yeah, it's actually quite a cool album cover and, and I, I did I did own it and that song yeah rum is for drinking up for burning probably the standout from from that album the the dueling guitars at the end are really another um prominent sound that I think if if any of us at that age were, were good enough at guitar we wanted that sort of stuff in our 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 sound and our our music but it's it's a little more talented than we were and and I think that's the thing with some of these bands are you know, the, the lyrics can be a little cringy and, and the singing definitely more on that slightly more whiny um, punk kind of vibe, you know, pop punk kind of voice. Um, but the music was still, pre- you know, these, these these people in these bands were still pretty talented, you know. Yeah. You don't and they weren't to... much older than us, if at all. No, no. I know their drummer and, was and 14 you... when they started as well. So kind of like with Paramore last week, we spoke about it. There's some huge talent coming through at young ages in this scene. Yeah, that's it, man. Like, like that that's quite impressive you know they uh, we're talking about the specific song and you know they got an opportunity to play it live on on Conan O'Brien and you know that that in itself is is massive you know he he really was the late night talk show host that we all went to to you know Letterman was Letterman was great but Letterman generally had a lot of you know earlier um again more in that uh more in more in that metal scene or yeah or, and even a little more you know, mainstream you know, or bigger like you know bigger yeah followings. mainstream or bigger yeah like tool and and you know that red hot chili peppers and that kind of stuff but uh conan was 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 very open for finding you know not as popular bands in slightly different scenes and and at the time we were we were craving any live version of these bands to see what they were like and i don't know if you want to go into it a little bit deeper but but the conan o'brien set yeah, I think it's worth talking about. It was one of those things that I'll I'll admit the first time I saw it, I completely missed that he didn't sing the first verse properly because I was just so stoked that a band I like, you know, a screamo or emo band was on, you know, a major television network and you can kind of disguise the fact you're not singing with the style of singing that he does. So the first time I saw it, I was just like, wow, these guys are cutting sick and they're having a great time. And then we kind of like went to school and, you know, everyone had kind of shared it around on some CDRs or whatever because no one was streaming <laughs> anything back then. And everyone's like, um, this isn't right. Like he hasn't sung the first verse. And he literally like, you know, they 
Conan introduces them. They start rocking out, and he Buddy comes out and is and yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Like it's you know when you know it's there, it's pretty shocking. But I mean, you did a little bit of research and kind of heard him speak about that, which I wasn't really aware of. What did you find out? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. As you put it, just just it's. I think it was. It was hard for us at the time because it, it was really bad. But I remember when it got called out more by our, by our friends, and I was the same as you. I was just more stoked to see it live and didn't fully realize how badly uh, they'd stuffed it up. But it clearly on on rewatching the clip, it, it's it's a complete mental lapse. You know, he he forgets every single lyric of the entire verse, and then the first verse actually has kind of two parts to it as well. So it's quite a big chunk of the song. Like it's a good sort of 20, 30 seconds of singing, he's he's forgotten it all. But then from the first chorus onwards, he basically doesn't make another mistake after that. Um, so the general the the general performance was actually quite good and this and the sound of a, a live band in that style, which is a little sloppy and a little choppy, actually did quite well. So it, it was more of this mental lapse and he sort of touches on it in in, in years um, post that. He said in, in many uh, interviews Buddy's done over the years, that, that that performance actually kind of weighed heavily on his shoulders for a good 10 years. You know, he he felt he felt the, the I guess, the embarrassment of not being able to perform on that stage for, for you know, many years to come after. And he said it would just come up. It would come up at live gigs. People, you know, might whisper about it. People might not have even been talking about it, but he thought people were talking about it or, or might be like, you know, this pressure on how's this thing going to go live? You know, we've all seen him on Conan. It was pretty awful. And, you know, this is a, this is a front man that hasn't shied away from voicing his struggles with, you know, anxiety and and depression and, and, um, you know, a lot of substance abuse, mainly with alcohol um, to try and, you know, work through that anxiety. And, and uh, I think he's, he was just someone who probably, you know, he really wanted, he's, he's really the type of front man that, wanted his band to be the biggest band in the world he hasn't shied away from saying that that he felt like they had the talent and that they had the presence um to be one of the biggest bands in the world so you know he's putting a lot of pressure on his own shoulders and the band um so to then get that opportunity to come out on on live tv and and nail a set and it not to go as you'd hoped um you know I, f- I just felt for him on the rewatches this week. I just felt so badly for him and the band. And it was interesting because a lot of the band members said they weren't aware of it at the time. You know, they each had different mixes in, in their, in their um, headphones. You know, some of them didn't want much of his vocals coming through. Um, so they weren't aware of what had happened and, and they went backstage and he was just this distraught mess who couldn't even be consoled because he, he just felt awful about what had happened. And his own bandmates weren't even aware um, because as you said, he just carried it as a front man anyway. Even though he was that bad, that mental lapse hit him so hard, he didn't give up and he kind of powered through. So I give a lot of credit yeah. to that because I would have Ashley Simpson to that shit for sure, man. If I went out there and started singing the wrong lyrics, I would have just done a little jig and strolled off stage <laughs> because that's incredible to know. Like it's one of those things where, you know, we are going to talk a little bit of shit about them. Um, we already have talked a little bit of shit about them. But in that particular situation, I think the Conan video is something that any Senses Fail fan could spend 25 minutes talking about. But with that perspective, I've just got a lot of respect for the fact that he kept on going 
because you said it, he then delivered an incredible performance. And I mean, even when he was singing the wrong lyrics, he was still delivering a performance. So I, I think that looking back on it, I'm really impressed that that didn't completely break him. It's sad to hear that he carried it for so long and thinks about it still. And I'm sure people are assholes about it, but I didn't realize the kind of impacts that his emotional state was having on him at the time. I wasn't aware of his substance abuse or anxiety or anything like that, but it really contextualizes it and full credit for finishing the show. Yeah. 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 That's, that's it. You've, you've summed it up. You've summed it up well. You know they they did such a good effort to to power on and and then you know not have that not have that break the band and and you know that was only you know that's just after their their first full album. You know they went, they've gone on to release you know five or six more albums since then and play world tours and you know everything. So yeah, it is quite odd that the you know the what what word am I looking for? You know the the popularity continued um, for them. Um, for quite a long time, yet he did still dwell on that for so long. You know, uh, 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 that surprised me a bit. You know, you'd think you'd get to the point where you'd be like, "Oh, look, we're, we're, you know, we were quite young then. You know, first live performance on TV. You know, we're over it." But yeah, I guess you never quite. Uh, well, we all have those little that. things that you know we kind of remember we did 15 years ago, and you like you wake up at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday being a 30 year old, and you're like, oh fuck, <laughs> remember that time that like I stole a sausage roll from the canteen or whatever, and like you know, and we didn't do anything on like a large stage in front of anyone, so you kind of like we oh, all have God. those internal little um, moments of kind of like, oh God, what was I thinking? I hope people still don't think about that, but he did it on national TV in front of fans and people that definitely weren't fans. Mm. But it's a it's a cool song. I recommend people check out that video. I recommend people check out the song if they you know just want a little nostalgia trip or haven't heard it because the vi- the song is excellent. Um, and though uh, "Rummers for Drinking, Not for Burning" is a great song and kind of has a really cool concept, uh, a lot of the other lyrics on their earlier recordings were a bit of a cringe fest. So uh, we could spend hours talking about that, but instead, let's go head to head. Head to head. So in Head to Head, this first edition, um, we're each going to present what we believe to be the worst lyrics on the first two records. So you'll present yours, I'll present mine back and forth, and we'll uh, diplomatically agree which we think is the worst. So let's start with From the Depths of Dreams, their debut EP. What's your pick for the most cringeworthy lyric on there? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the lyric, the lyrics hit hard. Hey, on the re-list, especially as we've gotten older, you know, we I really can't believe at times that I wasn't fully aware of what these uh, what these guys were singing about. Um, you know, I'm not someone that's always been as drawn to to lyrics, but for me, Free Fall Without a Parachute has some incredibly cringy lines in it, and it's sort of the second verse, and and I'll just just even even the simplicity of the rhyming they go with at the end of this line it's just it just is incredibly cringy so i'll give you i'll give you the full thing so i had a dream last night and in my dream i robbed a country club a five-year-old tried to stop me but i shot him through the head and now he's dead oh man it's so bad 
that even I yeah. chose that as mine too. So like, oh, no way. <laughs> we've gone and separately done this. We've read the entire lyrics for that EP and we've both gone, there are two lines in here. Cause like, there's, there's weirder stuff on there. There's more emo stuff on there. There's more like, you know, kind of sad blood and death kind of yeah, stuff. But slashing wrists. You nailed it. It's the rhyme. To necks and, uh, yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the five-year-old, rhyme. I shot him through the head and now he's dead. The robbing a country club, like, I don't know. These guys were young and I can't say my lyrics were, would have been much better or were much better, but it's just, oh, it's bad, isn't it? It's so bad. And and the only thing I can, the only thing I can kind of, uh, like I haven't looked into it deep enough, but obviously, you know, the EP itself is called From the Depths of Dreams. And I wonder if he did just literally pluck out some obscure dreams he was having as a messed up teenager and maybe some of these things he, he actually did dream about. And so for him, you know, he was like, you know, a little bit of a concept album. I'm putting these thought, these things down on paper that I was dreaming about at the time and, and I'll work it into a song. And maybe at the time they felt, oh, yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. You know, that, that's a cool way to come up with some lyrics for, for these songs. But when you get lines like that and, and you just cringe hard, like it is, it is God awful. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm so glad you're, um, you, you seem to take a positive slant on this and give the benefit of the doubt, which I'm glad you do. Cause <laughs> I, I basically spent the week telling you like, I'm going to just talk mad shit about this. I've got nothing good to say. I'm hating this, but I do. I am so glad that you keep bringing me back to that. Just like, yeah, maybe he was having a dream and that's what he wrote about. But at the yeah, same time, yeah. it's like when someone comes up to you, it's like, Oh, I had a weird dream last night. It's like, I don't give a shit. No one wants to hear it. Yeah. And even even if they're like, oh, you were in it. I'm like, it's still not going to be that interesting because it didn't happen. It's not interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it didn't happen. And and that's that's like a chat with your buddy, you know, on the playground at school. You didn't want to hear about it, let alone recorded forever you know that, that yeah in let's lock that forever. in let's tell people about that country club dream i had because it's real important <laughs> well from the depths of dreams um is a pretty broadly um strange uh record lyrically we'll talk a little bit more about that but let's touch on let it enfold you so we both agree we picked the exact same two lines from from the depths of dreams let it enfold you what was your pick for that because i had three so the good thing is you're not going to oh, have the exact same one as me yeah, yeah, no, I won't have the exact same. Um, for me, I found it a little harder on this album, and maybe it was more just also because I enjoyed this album a hell of a lot more than the EP. Um, so a lot of the songs, was, were, I still enjoyed them to some extent, re, re-listening to them over the last few weeks. But um, I always struggled with with the opening lines of the verses, or of the first verse in Tie Her Down. And, you know, it was, you know, I think it was like, so, so take me with a chainsaw along those lines. Um, love me gently with a chainsaw. Love me gently with a, te- with a chainsaw. And I just, it, it goes through some pretty dark, um, you know, verses in there, you know, the second verses, then goes on, you know, I'll leave you like your father did. I'll bite your lip. <laughs> so fucking, and even this, even this effort of like needing to finish the line, but not having good enough lyrics written. So having to use the word so twice, so, I'll bite your lips so fucking so hard. Like, it's just not even grammatically. You could say so fucking damn hard or anything. Like, it's just, it's that kind of like just having to fill in the syllables. That's it. Yeah. He obviously had a run on of how he wanted to, yeah, um, you know, phrase those lines, but just not quite uh, on the ball with some some crafty lyrics there. So, yeah, that, that song is riddled with awful lines, but 
yeah so love me gently with a chainsaw and then throughout that second verse just um hits me hits me pretty hard in all the wrong ways yeah i i think that's a pretty good one that definitely stood out for me but um i guess you know i kind of wrote down three and like you mentioned it the the whole record itself wasn't like oh my god this is all terrible but a, a few things do stand out and this one is more from that lame bad rhyming that you mentioned before lady in a blue dress the line so you say that i am rated x you suffer from the lack of sex i'm like oh that's oh, just oh man it's just it's that lazy rhyming and it's just a little bit gross probably not the worst lyric on the record but one that stands out to me that i always hated like you mentioned it. I we didn't really pay attention to the lyrics that much. I think there was a sonic appeal of Senses Fail, like the, the the music, the guitars, the drums, the the sound of the vocals more so than what they were saying. So yeah, yeah, a lot of them didn't stand out to me at the time, but that was one that I still remember. I'm like, oh god. Uh, I I would definitely recommend people to not go back and read through the lyrics from that entire song because it it is pretty bad and definitely seems to come from a. a I couldn't help but feel like this guy's just hating on women hard throughout this song and putting a lot of negativity back on the the woman's perspective throughout, you know, potentially what what he's singing about and a lot of blame on 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 he he had this poor ability I found throughout the first couple of albums to to often put a lot of a lot of blame and shame on on women who were either like ex-lovers or um, you know, even just the female in that particular story or dream, it, it's it's quite disturbing listening back to some of those songs in the way that women are portrayed in them. And, and you know, yeah, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty at the time, but you know, that's not young. You know, that's that's not a that's not a thirteen or fourteen year old struggling with her emotions on how to. You know, that, that that's adult enough to probably know that. You know shouldn't really probably be singing about these things. And, well, heartbreak yeah, so is that, such yeah. a common lyrical theme. And so you can forgive the desire to do it and you can forgive the want to do it, but there's a way around it. Like I remember, and Linkin Park were earlier than Census Fail, a lot of Linkin Park's songs on Hybrid Theory and Meteora have this like abstract you, like I don't want to be you, I've let myself become you, like you've done this to me. So you can do the blame. You can place blame on someone else if you're not taking responsibility or if someone has caused you harm without being kind of so angry and so violent. And I think that's the problem. Like I don't look back on these lyrics and kind of think this band needs to be cancelled or anything like that. But it is kind of a shame because like I I Mm. remember distinctly using – you know, just certain words and, and just looking at them, like one being whore, which is like, you, you write that, you're like, oh my God, I can't say that about someone. I shouldn't be thinking that. I'm allowed to yeah. think it um, because I'm angry. I'm allowed to be mad or whatever. But imagine putting that in a song and then performing it, which plays into mm-hmm. my next cringy lyric from Let It Enfold You being from Choke On This, which, and I'm going to be honest, good song sonically, but garbage lyrically. Like, I, I don't think I'd ever want to listen to this again, but the opening is half-smoked cigarettes and you're the trash that infest my sheets. Fine. But then the next line, can't make a wife out of a whore, don't want your skin on me, and you're addicted to the drug of lust. It's just it's just shit, man. Like, I don't... This oh, band doesn't right. need to be cancelled. We don't need to look at them as just, like, as a problem. It's bad songwriting, and I just... I can't believe it made it past, like... Yep, pen on paper, cool. Yep, band practice, cool. Recorded, yep, record label, no dramas. And that's my problem with it is just kind of like someone along the way had to know better even back then. Oh, for sure, man. And this this was a band that was was big enough to have a lot of other 
people um, helping them with their end product. You know, they, they weren't just a, a, a band not on a label put, or putting out something on a very small label. You know, they had managers, they had, you know, listening back to a few a few things and a bit more research this this week. You know, they had lawyers um, behind them. You know, they were they were a big enough band to have, you know, checks and balances along the way and to have lyrics like that pass through, um, you know, for what, you know, creative reasoning or whatever. Um, it, it's pretty poor. It, you know, we'll, we'll get stuck into it, um, you know, in, in this next segment a bit as well. But, you know, the band clearly did struggle with some of the lyrics they, they put, you know, out there on these early albums because, you know, they, they did re-release the, the first album um, somewhat recently. And, and Well, yeah, let's, and let's talk about that, it. Will. We'll leave our head-to-head behind. I don't think we need <laughs> to decide on a winner for that because I think we both agree there's some pretty gross shit in there. I mean, we even picked the same one from one of the records. And I guess yeah. I'd just say as we wrap that up, I'm not the decider of where the line is. You know, it's, I have no idea who is responsible for this stuff, who like ultimately we all need to be responsible for it. And I am not up for canceling anyone who makes genuine mistakes, but let's talk a little bit about the re-release of from the depths of dreams, because in, as you know, they define the sound of the scene uh, in 2019, they decided to re-record the record due to big lineup changes and maturing as musicians. So what do you think about that re-recording? Yeah, look, it was something that I wasn't fully aware that they had done, um, you know, until we we started researching for this episode. And I always struggle on what's the point? Why bother re-recording something, especially something that was your first EP? You know, your first EP, it's allowed to be a little scratchy. It's allowed to be a little bit rough. And I think that's what people want to go back to and listen to to trigger those memories. So to have a completely polished um, version of, of that EP, you know, having a listen to it, I don't really see the point in it, but it did lead um, before they recorded it. Um, obviously, you know, they, they had matured a lot. It's, it's some odd, what are we talking, 16 years late? No more. How, how long later is this? 16 years since the record. Yes. Yeah, so they'd formed a little earlier, yeah. but yeah, 16 years since the first release. Yeah. So, so, so these guys are now, you know, in their thirties uh, and it, it came, you know, there's a couple of lyrics specifically in this album that they wanted to change. And, and Buddy himself, uh, interestingly, he put it out on Twitter to, to kind of his followers and said, you know, hey, fans, you know, there's a couple of lyrics in, in the album that we're looking at changing. One is, one is bitch and one is whore across two different songs. And it's quite interesting reading through the, the Twitter um, kind of conversation that came from that and kind of a divided 50-50 split of fans either saying, Yep, sounds good, you know, probably inappropriate at the time back then, but definitely now, you know, no reason to be putting those words in these songs. Surely you can, you know, write something a little a, li- a little better there, a little more mature there and, and not degrade women so hard. And um, and the other half of the fans are saying like, you know, nah, this this is bullshit. You know, you're just you're just uh, leaning into the to the new you know, the loud voices saying that everything's inappropriate and, and, you know, just leave it, you know, you wrote it then, what's the point in, in changing it now? And, and, it, and it had this, this, this ongoing debate. And one of the big reasons that Buddy kept falling back on as to why, I think is a very kind of weak reason, you know, no knock on someone trying to, trying to change, but he kept uh, referring to the fact that he's got a daughter now, you know, and his partner, and he wouldn't want his daughter to hear him sing these lyrics. He wouldn't want his daughter <clears throat> to know that her her father was associated with these lyrics. And it 
it sort of brought up that, you know, that analogy of that, you know, someone will only, like a man, uh, to be specific, will only know what's right or wrong if he has a female presence in his life to tell him so. And, you know, we heard it from our own prime minister in the, in the, in the last year, you know, needing to talk to his wife about why, you know, rape in Parliament House was, was inappropriate. <laughs> and, um, yeah, needing to get the perspective of a woman to contextualise it as what if it was your own daughters and that was what made him finally click. And you don't want to be mad at someone who is trying to learn or trying to grow, but there is a strange, like, you, you ask, you beg the question, where, where, how have you treated women prior to this? How have you felt about women prior to them being married to you or them being your family? And that's, that's always something I really worry about people that are like very family centric. It's like, yeah, I now understand it because it affects my family, but women are half the world. Why did you need to have a daughter and a wife to contextualize that calling someone a whore isn't cool? Ne- never was. Yeah. 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 And, and, and even, even that word, you know, he often, you know, went back to that word of it being cool or not being cool. And I found that really funny. Like, so as you put it, like, it wasn't cool then either, man. Like, you know, it, it, it you know, there might've been a small group of, of teenage kids at the time were like, oh, that, you know, he used the word Ooh, edgy. in a song. That's so cool. That's yeah. so edgy. But I don't think the, the greater public were thinking that, you know, these grown men on stage, using these lyrics um, were cool then and definitely not cool now. So, so they did, uh, they did change them. Uh, the, those lyrics, they did go against, I guess, half of their fans and say, no, we will, I guess, make a, a small stand for something we think um, was inappropriate then. And we'll, we'll fix it up on, on the re-recording. But um, yeah, other than, you know, I, I think one eight seven is a track sort of towards the end of the EP that I think re-recorded sounded, sounded kind of cool. And there's this, this prominence of double kick uh, throughout the re-recording that I, I know it was there on the EP, but on the re-recording, you, you get it in your face a lot harder. And, you know, that was pretty unique, I felt, for a more of a punk, uh, you know, pop punk, screamo punk band to use so much double kick. You know, we'd come from more of a, a metal, new metal, you know, you know, interest prior to that. So we were aware of bands using double kick, double kick quite a lot that's a fun sentence to say but <laughs> double but, kick quite uh, a lot double kick quite a lot double yeah, yeah. kick quite a lot <laughs> nailed it um but yeah like uh, you know other than that and, and some of those more you know slightly polished elements of the album of the ep you know i didn't really see the point what what are your kind of thoughts on these bands like this re-recording stuff it, it's an interesting one because i'm glad in the fact they re-recorded they reassessed lyrics that needed to be changed i think that's essential if you are doing a new version change things that, that it may be an issue. You know, you don't want kind of like an Indiana Jones, I think it's Raiders of the Lost Ark where they've gone back and they've changed guns to walkie-talkies. Like that's just the same movie and they've CGI'd in a different thing. It's like, oh, not guns. And it's, I'd have a problem with that, like any kind of like retroactive changes if, you know, they removed it from Spotify, changed the lyric and put it back up or whatever. But re-recording it, I think it was a good idea to change it. But I also just don't think they should have re-recorded it. I think if they were the same lineup or if they were most of the classic lineup, that would have made sense. But I'm a little uncomfortable for no real strong reason. Um, you know, it's I'm not, no one's going to lose sleep over this, but I just don't really get why when you're the only member that recorded that thing initially, why you'd do it again. Like I love a nostalgia trip. I love a 10-year album in full tour, but I want to see the guys who made that. Like when Taking Back Sunday got their classic lineup back together, 
you want to see them do tell all your friends. You know, that's that's what you want to see. You don't want to see kind of Buddy Nielsen is is basically doing census fail karaoke these days. Like Dance Gavin Dance re-released their album acceptance speech two years ago, just remastered because there was an agreement amongst fans. It was the first album with their new singer Tillian Pearson, and there was an agreement that um, as the band had departed from their usual engineer, that the record just didn't really capture the band as well as it should have. So I think last year or perhaps the year before, they just re released a remastered version that had their engineer that they had before and subsequently since, just making it match everything else in their catalog. So it was just a bit of a, like a nod to fans. They didn't change anything. You know, there's not a lyric change. There's not really anything added or taken away. It just sounds, it's just sonically more pleasing. And I love that. I think that's really great. You listen to the fans and go, the whole time this record has existed, they've wanted it to sound better. Here it is. And we've still left the old version for you too. So pick or choose which one you want. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, man. Cool. Well, let's play a game. People of all ages, this is The Quiz. There'll be questions. There'll be answers. There are no prizes, but this is The Quiz. I'd like to give a special shout out for, to our friend Reese from the Baccio Death Trip podcast for the inspiration for this game. Uh, on their Disturbed episode, they used a similar format. So I'd like to uh, give thanks to our friends over there, Reese and Benji. They're great work. If you're a fan of uh, new metal and you're a few years older than us, you should be listening to their podcast instead of ours. But mad love to those <laughs> guys. So, Nick, the game today is called Buddy or Nobody. And I'm going to play you a clip. I've got five clips here and you are going to tell me if that is Buddy Nielsen singing or if that is someone else singing the song. So Buddy singing it or nobody. So Buddy or nobody. I game like. makes sense to you? Yes. Yes, I'm in. Okay. You ready for the first clip? Yeah, let's roll it. Rest in peace, girl. Your death is such a shame. The paper said a bullet got in your way. But I smell foul play. Possible poisoning. I had to bring you in for questioning. <laughs> All right, is that Buddy okay, Nelson buddy or, or is that someone else? Nobody. Um, uh, I'm going to go with my instinct. My first uh, thoughts were nobody. I think it sounds a little, a little more nasally and a little more high pitched than than Sense of Fail. Buddy, uh, so your, nobody. Your ears have served you well. That is uh, from a YouTube group named Adelie. So thank you, Adelie. All right, That's next. Be there, uh, the first time my ears have served me well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready for, our ready for our next one. How did that one go? Do you want to hear it one more time? Oh, oh no. <laughs> that, sounded, that sounded awful. That sounded absolute trash. And given where we went previously with, with a Conan O'Brien live set, I'm going to say that was Buddy and on not one of his better days. <laughs> well, it was actually a trick question because while there's a little bit of Buddy there, it's actually the bass player, Mike Glitter, who I mentioned before, just like I needed, I ragged on his singing before and I needed to play a clip. Let's, let's just hear it one oh, more time. Man. 
Should have got Garrett to sing it. it, Yeah, it's like just making making the noise of what the song is, but not actually making any attempt to sing it correctly. That is that is so bad. Uh, I'm going to give you that because you said it was Buddy because he is in there, but I'm still going to give you a point for that one. (laughs) All right, you ready for the next clip? All right, is that is that buddy or nobody? Well, Senses Vale do have a very unique scream in <laughs> one of the tracks off. I think it's on Let It Enfold You. Oh no, maybe it maybe it's off from the depths of dream. They're very obscure yell in the opening line. Um and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go buddy. That's buddy. He's having a he's having a yell, he's having a squeal. actually a screaming goat so you got that one wrong oh, that is oh. nobody so you're two from three oh. so far well 1.5 but I'll, I'll give you two yeah now you got that one wrong that is a goat not buddy nielsen so um, man i thought that was gonna be the most obvious one <laughs> all right it's coming through a little a little distorted on, on the headphones but uh yeah this, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you yeah, that there's some tech issues but uh you're still wrong all right next clip Let's in peace, girl. You know the touch you seem. The favorite set of bullet got in your way. But I'm so foul play. Possible poisoning. I had to bring you in for questioning. Alright, oh, how did that one God. come through? Do you need it again? Nah, I'm pretty happy. Pretty happy. It sounded okay. I still I haven't listened to a lot of live senses fail, but I'm going nobody again. I don't I, yeah. Nobody on that one. That one is Buddy Nielsen. That one's That's from him. 2019, and it is bad, man. Like that—that that was one of the better parts of it. It's from a oh, wow. live at Paste Studio video where he actually forgets lyrics. I mean, again, he's he's notorious for mm. it. Forgets the lyrics <laughs> a minute and a half. He's like, "No, nah, stop that. Let's start again." And they go from the top, and it's it's a really uncomfortable watch. And what's really interesting is when I look at the YouTube comments on Census Fail videos, people still love them. Like I expected to be like, oh my God, why would you keep this mistake in? What he forgot the lyrics, what an idiot. He sounds bad. No, nah, people are like, wow, he sounds amazing still all these years on and love this song. And that's really nice because obviously I'm an asshole and everyone else is still just completely fine with these guys <laughs> living their lives. So that was nobody. So you're two from four. Here's the deciding one. If you get this right, you win the game and get nothing. And if you get it wrong, you lose the game and also get nothing. So lucky last, buddy or nobody. I'm going to have to go. I haven't done overly well in this, to be honest, but I'm going to have to go nobody. And I think it sounded a little too good. (laughs) (laughs) That was what I wanted to include with the ones that weren't him is actually, even if they sound a bit emo, they do sound better. And that was YouTuber Robin Hood Chronicles. So we'll hear that one more time. Yeah, so yeah, that was job, Robin Hood Chronicles. Buddy or Solid. nobody. Well done, Skinny. Well done. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, this took me down doing the research for this uh, podcast took me down a rabbit hole of um, 
Behind Crimson Eyes. Do you remember that band from Australia? Yeah, yeah. I, I think we saw them multiple times live. We had a period where we were definitely quite quite into them and, and were keen to come on down to Melbourne and watch them play uh watch them play live I, I don't really remember all that much about them now but they definitely were definitely the they were like australia's senses fail and listening back to it is you know just kind of was as upsetting and disappointing as listening back to senses fail was but as i was listening to them i noticed that behind crimson eyes have a song called bullets for blood and the breakdown at the end sounds ridiculously like Bite to Break Skin by Senses Fail. And because Behind Crimson Eyes have kind of dropped off the map, I couldn't find out which one came first. And I know that's pretty typical of the time. Like a breakdown is a breakdown. But even mm. the melodic part, and I, I challenge anyone, or not challenge, I ask anyone who's listening who, you know, recalls the two bands, Senses Fail and Behind Crimson Eyes, to have a listen and, and let me know what you think. Was, was that a ripoff? Was it a happy accident? And, um, yeah, what do you think about Senses Fail and Behind Crimson Eyes all these years later? One of the things I noticed in the research as well was Buddy Nielsen seems to be okay with Senses Fail and he talks about it being a nostalgia act. And the set list is still very classics heavy. So as much as we've kind of like uh, spoken about them progressing down and doing more albums, like when they tour, when people go to see them, it still seems like they want to hear the old classics. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned Behind Crimson Eyes because I think I said to you during the week that you know, there was a there was a Bendigo band at the time, um, you know, Born a Liar. And I, I on my re-listen through, especially early Census Fail, I felt, I was like, surely this was the blueprint for that band as well. So maybe it was more, yeah, maybe The it was Hard more Truth just... Tour to four <laughs> places and two of which were yeah. in Bendigo and one was in Geelong and one was in Melbourne. What a tour. Born a Liar, a great, Hard Truth Tour. Great. Hard Truth Tour. Um, pierce your hat, come along, you'll have a great time. <laughs> but um, look, I, maybe, maybe again. Yeah, maybe just quickly, again can we just talk a... about piercing one's hat and what that means? Yeah. That means getting a flat brim, like new era style hat, getting like studs from like a collar or a cuff that you can unscrew, getting a drill, drilling mm. holes into your hat and putting those studs on the rim of your hat. And that is how you pierce your hat, my friends. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're our sponsor for today. Pierced hats. Oh, damn. Maybe we'll have a word to them and try and get them next week. Yeah, I think that they're in demand, but like I reckon we might be able to to get them on board for another episode. But um, yeah, like, look, again, maybe on a more positive note, it's a credit to Senses Fail. Like, again, we're not exactly sure of of which one came first behind Crimson Eyes or or Senses Fail, but Senses Fail, definitely the far bigger band. And I, th- I think they actually did. They, they definitely influenced a lot of that, you know, mid 2000s screamo punk sound. Bands wanted to, you know, emulate that sound uh, across the board. The guitars, the, the use of double kick, the screamo mixed with pop punk singing. It was very, very popular there for a bit. And, you know, credit where credit's due, Sense of Fail played a, a huge part in that. So, yeah, I, I, it was quite interesting, you know. I did have a little a little dabble into to some of the uh, the newer recordings because I was just interested. I'd never listened to anything past "Let It Enfold You," becoming the common common uh, thread here across so these far, episodes. Yeah. We think. haven't really stuck with these bands. <laughs> yeah, we don't really stick with them. But the one album did stand out to me on that uh, on that journey, and it was it was their 2013 release. Uh, Renessa, I think is how you pronounce Ren- it. Rene- yeah, and actually, I've never heard it said, Renessa, so I'm going to leave it with um, you. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was easily their most hardcore 
um, album. It, the, even the screaming is is considerably better. It is like it's almost a totally proper hardcore different music, sound. isn't it? It's proper hardcore, man. And and I wonder, um, it sort of fits in the middle of their releases there. And I just wonder if, like, I didn't go anywhere near near listening to it with Senses of Fail because they weren't a band that I was, you know, even vaguely following by by 2013. But I was definitely still quite in touch with more more hardcore scene, heavier music still. And I wonder if <clears throat> I had this thought that if if Buddy had opted to release that under a different band name you know here's here's my side project side projects became very popular um throughout this scene you know especially for front people to to drift off or, or lead guitars to drift off and do another you know another band or another project on the side and i feel like if that album got released under a different band it could have potentially been far more popular and and launched a, a different career path for a a new sound not sitting under the census fail. Name. It was 2013, which was like you said, the midpoint of the band and it could have been a bit of a turning point, but they seem to, they do, they did Renesa and then kind of went back to this nostalgia act. And I think you're right. Like these dudes are 40 and up. And if they were playing in just a true hardcore band that they had a defined maybe eight years ago, maybe it wouldn't be this nostalgia trip and kind of rehashing old kind of songs that maybe should have been left in 2004. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I just found it a, a, an interesting release at the time that they weirdly also on Spotify have this Spotify commentary version up, which goes for an hour. And it's literally just Buddy talking through every song one by one. They're even listed song by song and just uh, how they wrote it and where the thought came from. And it is so boring, man. Like, it is just awful listening. I don't think I got through, you know, even two or three minutes. <laughs> I was just so intrigued. I hadn't seen a band do that before. I don't know how popular that is for bands to do that. But It's a bit of a trip yeah, up with the marketing you have to do for your record because I remember Bring Me The Horizon released That's The Spirit in 2015 and they had a similar thing on Spotify and probably still do where in between each track would be Ollie Sykes talking about the meaning. And it's one of those things where, like, even as a diehard fan of the band, Sometimes I want some mystery. I don't actually want to know. I, w I want to maybe make some guesses for myself, talk to my friends about it. And so when it's explained factually, sometimes it's a little underwhelming. Oh, incredibly underwhelming because for the most part, it, there's not much behind it. You know, it's it's like, oh, yeah, we were bloody driving the van and we saw this mountain, so we called the song Mountaintop. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm really glad I know that. Now, yeah. Like, some stories awful. are yeah. worth telling, but not all. Not all, and not every song on the album for like, well, I don't know how many songs are on the album. Say there's there's twelve. The thing goes for an hour, man. Like he's giving he's giving five minutes plus commentary on how it was that they came about writing each song. And yeah, you, you got to be a pretty hardcore census fail to fan to have stuck through an hour of that. And I wonder, have the fans, you know, kind of grown with the band? Because I'll ask you, like. Looking, you might have seen it already, but looking at the top 10 in Spotify, how many of those songs do you think are from post-2006? Yeah, I haven't. I didn't really look at it. I would hope that the top listings, most of them are the older songs, but I think in new times on Spotify, it often interests me where newer releases do get quite a few, quite a few um, clicks and listens. So... I'm going to hope that after 2006, half, and before 2006, half. So there's nothing after 2006. So Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven songs from Let It Enfold You. 
one song from From the Depths of Dreams and then the top two are actually from their 2006 record Still Searching, which we didn't touch on today because I think truly by that point we were diversifying a lot more. Like Census Fail really were 2004, 2005 for us and by 2006, you know, what else had come along? Kind of like Panic at the Disco and My Chemical Romance and Paramore and all that kind of stuff that was just, I guess, a little more fun. Yeah, and, and a step up, a step up in, in you know quality of songwriting and, and even just the depth of sound was was way better. You know, it wasn't this, you know, whiny teenage punk pop. Um, you know, I I think most of the bands from that scene we were listening to in, in two thousand and six, um, I would still, you know, be more than happy listening to them now. But Senses Fail from the two thousand and three, two thousand and four era, uh, definitely never went back and um probably will never listen to them <laughs> again after this. Full credit to Buddy Nielsen for kind of getting through everything he's gone through in his life. I'm really glad you touched on the anxiety and the substance abuse and things like that because while I you know, really do want to kind of acknowledge that I've left this band well back in the past. I think, you know, a lot of their themes and lyrics should be left behind too. You do have to give credit to someone who has persisted and kept going. And even though there's changed members, he's, he's kept the, the band alive. Like, but on that note, like, do you, what's your general thought about significant member changes in bands? Do you have any really strong feelings in general about when a band like this is ultimately just one person that was there from the start? Yeah, no, like I don't like I, uh, you know, I'm someone who I like the music and the sound of the band. And if if the main thing for that band was was the vocalist, um, and the rest can be replaced or replicated by other members' changes along the way, um, then I'm still going to probably be into that band. It, it's when bands often like uh, I know we've got episodes, you know, coming up on Dance Gavin Dance. I'm not going to um, you know put them down in any way because they're a huge, huge fan favorite um, of yours. But, uh, you know, they have multiple front uh, members, you know. So that's a band I always struggled to continue to enjoy because I felt like the changes were so extreme, you know, nearly like whole new lineups or at least new front people along the way. But I think generally if, if the sound remains the same and whether whether that's just in keeping the front person like Senses Fail have done, that wouldn't really put me off. Uh, if if the mem- but there there are fans out there that love all members of bands you know they get really into knowing bits and pieces about every member you know their names their interests their life all this sort of stuff and they're probably fans that might struggle a little more when their favorite guitarist or their favorite drummer leaves and is replaced but for me eh, that doesn't really phase me that much <laughs> yeah, I guess it is just band dependent isn't it yeah hundred percent well for a final thought I guess I just want to ask you did this did any of this hold up for you. Yeah, the, the short answer is just going to be no. It hasn't held up well. Um, you know, a few nostalgic, um, you know, vibes in me when when these songs are played, but it, it's not something that um, I'm ever going to really put on and listen to again. Uh, if I ever have children, I highly doubt that I'd ever show them this band as one of the bands that I used to be into. Oh, when you have a when you have a daughter, <laughs> when I have and a daughter, realize. <laughs> yeah, maybe when I have a daughter, I might show them some of those tracks, but. Um, no, for me, no. What, what about yourself? Is this holding up for you? Not not at all. I hated researching this episode. I found it a chore. I found listening to them really difficult. That being said, rum is for drinking, not for burning. I could listen to 10 versions of that in a row. Like I, I went through and found every live clip of it, every cover of it, <laughs> every version of it, and I love that song. I think the lyrical concept is really cool and I really enjoy it. 
and the song itself is really impressive. So that's a song that I'll always kind of have as a favorite and I highly recommend everyone everyone to check it out. Seven albums for one song. They did quite well then, didn't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just want to ask, if anyone's listening that's stuck with them past 2006, let us know um, via violenceandsunshinepod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at violenceandsunshine to let us know kind of what is it that made you stick with them? What, um, you know, what are the songs to go back and listen to? Um, because yeah, I just, I just don't get it. I don't know. Um, I don't personally know anyone that's still a fan and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you if there is, because they still tour, they still feel, feel kind of 500 people, thousand people rooms. And I'm not doing that with my life. So who, who am I? <laughs> But um, I think that's it for Violence of Sunshine this week. Uh, again, you can email us at violenceofsunshinepod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at Violence of Sunshine. And if you like the show, please drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, the battle has been won, but war has just begun. Mm-hmm.